You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Jared will put one in your hand if you lift it up. We want you to have a Bible open in your laps in front of you as we, uh, as we study God's Word together. Um, but this is God, Genesis 131, um, looking at everything He's made, and He steps back and says, it's good. It's good. Um, verse 31 is going to be our entire passage for this morning. So um, if you're doing the math, yeah, that puts us at about 29 and a half years to make it through Genesis. Um, we, we will pick up the pace from here, fear not. Um, but as I said before, um, of all of the holidays that we have, um, there's some that are ridiculous. There's some that we have for a reason. This is one that we have for a reason. This is fantastic um, to stop and celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh, I just couldn't resist, um, I think, the Lord's gracious timing um, to look at Psalm, or sorry, Genesis 131 uh, this morning, uh, at Thanksgiving morning, uh, and to see the, the goodness of God's creation. So uh, Genesis 131, um, let me read it for us. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, And behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy and true. Thank you that it cuts to the heart, that it convicts of sin, that it teaches us truth, that it builds your church. So God, we come Um, to hear your word this morning, myself included. Lord, would you speak? Lord, I pray that my words would reflect your truth. If there's anything that I have that is out of line, God, that those words would fall to the ground, but that your truth would go forward. God, that you'd be at work in us, that you would strengthen us, teach us, um, encourage us. By your word, through your spirit, God, we give ourselves Uh, To you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the seventh time, if you're keeping track, that that it says that it was good. Six times through the rest of the creation narrative, kind of each step of creation, um, it says God saw that it was good. And then finally, here at the end of day six, uh, it doesn't just say God saw that it was good. Um, It expands that statement. It's a little bigger, a little fuller. The seventh and and final time that he says it, um, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Um, There are three little additions there. And uh, first is this this statement of the the totality. God um, is, is now looking at all of creation. These other statements are given at different parts. God saw the light, and it was good. Um, Here, he's stepping back. He's looking at the whole finished product, as it were, and uh, and this this whole thing knitted together in perfect unity and harmony. The the stars and the planets all moving with 
precision, the, the millions of, of macro and micro um, ecosystems all in perfect balance, the, the different animals and their uh, symbiotic relationships providing for one another, relying on each other, um, right down to the, the microscopic cells and, and DNA and bacteria. All of it is in its place. It's working perfectly. And God says, this is good. This is what I created, this whole, um, it's, it's this magnificent thing, the, the crown jewel being mankind created in the center. And God says it's good. Secondly, God doesn't just see um, that it's good, but this time he says it's very good. There's something absolute here. There's something uh, abundantly, completely good in the whole finished product that wasn't, wasn't the same with just each individual piece. This whole thing together now, he says, is very good. There's a, a perfection and a, and a finality to this finished product. And then thirdly, um, the Lord says, behold, it's very good. Behold is a, is a command or at least an invitation. See, look, he's inviting us to come and, and, and join in, in seeing the goodness of his creation. And, and I think as we come um, to see the goodness of this created world, it teaches us some things. We see some things um, that are particularly relevant this Thanksgiving morning. Firstly, in a good creation, we see a good world for us to enjoy. A good world for us to enjoy. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago in, uh, when the kids were with us in service. Um, if you were to walk into the house and see a cookie sitting on the counter, what you do with that cookie depends on where it came from and, and knowing where it came from. Um, if you found the, the cookie on the counter, but, but someone put it there after pulling it out of the garbage in the alley and knocking the maggots off it and left it there, that's going to change how you interact with that cookie, right? Maybe a little far-fetched, but if, if you find out that that cookie was there from someone that hated you and it was laced with cyanide and anthrax, again, that's going to change the way you interact with that cookie. Or if you find out that your spouse made it because they love you and they made your favorite kind of cookies and left it there for you, that's going to change the way that you enjoy that cookie. Um, sadly, Many Christians throughout history and still today have treated this world as if it was one of the first two, right? This physical world is seen as something inherently evil. It's something to be avoided, to have nothing to do with. Um, and so we end up with monks who, who seclude themselves and, and deny themselves earthly pleasures. They never marry. They don't eat delicious food. They, they sleep on hard beds and wear rough clothes. And the idea is if I can just control my kind of outward surroundings, if I can control the, the physical things around me, remove any comforts of this world, um, then I'll be holy. Then I'll be pleasing to God by, by denying all of these worldly things. And there are many who get caught today in, in this legalistic approach to God. The focus is all external. And the, the overarching drive seems to be avoid everything. Don't, don't enjoy things. Don't get attached here. Fear the world and, and minimize pleasure. Holiness is defined by all the things that you don't do. And it begins to look a lot like a, a, a cyanide-laced cookie. And it's not totally out to lunch, right? We understand there's some nuance here for sure. 
Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him, what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there is absolutely a place for, for self-control and, and discipline and self-denial in the Christian life. Absolutely. That's just not today's sermon, right? Um, the sermon today, our passage today, is reminding us not to lose sight of the other shore. We don't have uh, a world that is evil, fundamentally. We, we don't want to see this world wrong. Don't, don't miss this. God made this world and he created it all. And then he stepped back and saw that it was all very good. It was very good. And again, not only is he enjoying his creation, but he's inviting us. Come and see. It's good. He's delighting in it. He's taking pleasure in it. And that act of enjoying it himself is, is commending it also to our enjoyment. This world is good. And it's God's gift to us. It's his, it's his blessing. God intends for us and he, and he invites us to enjoy this world. Um, and, and it's absolutely not wrong. In fact, it is very right um, for us to enjoy the good things of this creation. Psalm 104 14 and 15 says this to God, you cause the grass to grow for livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he might bring forth food from the earth, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine. <coughs> Ooh, sorry. Um, and bread to strengthen man's heart. That's the Lord's good gifts. Let's, let's just unpack this a little bit. Grass to grow for the livestock. Translation, steaks. Right, you're talking my language. Um, this is good. God's saying, look what I did for you. Plants to cultivate and grow food. I like a little mashed potatoes and corn beside my steak. Wine to gladden the heart. Where's that verse been hiding? We didn't talk about that verse growing up. Um, there it is. It's good. It's given as a, as a gift. Now, Absolutely. There are, there are many good reasons to say, you know what, we just don't want to, we're not going to have alcohol in our home. I'm not going to touch it. Full abstinence. Totally respect that. But alcohol in itself is not evil. It's a gift. Then bread to strengthen the heart. Nothing better than that nice um, tray bun to soak up the gravy at the end of dinner. Um, this is beautiful. This is God's gift to us, given for our enjoyment uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. Now, we've studied Ecclesiastes. You know this isn't the, the whole story, but, but this is true. This is what Solomon says. He says, I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Eat, enjoy it. Drink, enjoy it. Go to work, enjoy it. This is God's gift to man. And, and as far as our lives on earth are concerned, um, this is good. It's good. One more verse, and, and this one's going to show up uh, all the way through. This is a helpful passage as we think through this. First uh, Timothy 4.4. 4. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. It's God's gift. We're to, we're to take it with, with thankfulness in our hearts. He gave us a sense of, 
of sight, of, of touch, of smell, of hearing, of taste. And then he filled this world with all kinds of things that, that dazzle and delight those senses. And it's not a trap. It's, it's not some cosmic game of gotcha. Don't feel guilty about joy, about pleasure, about receiving the gifts of God's creation. Rather, we, we ought to be thankful for them. It's a good creation, and that, that good creation, we see this, this world for us to enjoy, and, and so we ought to enjoy it. And this good gift is, is given to every human, um, regardless of faith or lack thereof, right? Everyone receives this blessing from God. This is called a common grace. It's a, it's a gift that God gives indiscriminately. So Matthew 5, Jesus commands us to, to love our enemies. And, and then he goes on to say, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. God's goodness in creation is for all. The sun shines on the wicked and the just. The rain falls just the same. Uh, but there's more to it, isn't there? There's more to see here. If you have eyes to see it, there is so, so much more. In the goodness of creation, we see a good God for us to worship. A good God for us to worship. It's interesting. The Lord saw that it was all very good. But what is good? And the Bible never gives us a definition of good. I think the closest thing we get is that the Lord is good. He himself is the definition of goodness, and, and, and that's the underlying reality of the, the good of this created world. And, and, and in the goodness of the world, then, what we're seeing is a, a reflection, a, a glimpse of the character of God. The goodness of God is showing through. All right, Psalm 19, 1-4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day, pours out speech night to night, reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent, uh, set a tent for the sun. So you look up at the heavens. You look into the, into the sky. The beauty of the, the deep blue or the vastness of space. I don't know if you've checked out the new pictures from the James Webb telescope. The, these are mostly unbelievers who were just opening up more of the glory of God on display. Right? I don't know if you were out last night and saw the, the full moon rising with a little bit of cloud around it. It's the glory of God on display. It's his beauty coming through. In that goodness, in that beauty, uh, is the declaration of who God is. And then look at these next few lines, because it seems almost nonsensical, right? This passage seems almost self-contradictory. The, the, the sky, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then it says, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. And then he says, there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. You know, what is he? I thought they were speaking, and now they're not speaking. Um, and, and, and yet, he says, their voice goes out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. So what is it? Well, he's, he's talking about this very thing, the goodness of creation. There's no words. Nobody's hearing a voice, but we look at the moon, and there is this silent declaration of the glory of God, and it's heard around the world. There, there is no corner of this universe where the glory of God is not there to behold. It's on display. 
Psalm 65, uh, 9 to, to 13. It's a, it's a little big for the screen. Let me just read it for you. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together with joy. It's not just a one-time creation and that declares the glory of God. He's talking now about the cycles of of the seasons. And every season, the abundance and the providence of the Lord again declares His glory. And and it's His good gift. It's His goodness, His faithfulness, His blessing. There's a reason we have Thanksgiving in the fall. Because the farmers have brought in the harvest. Um, We can always just kind of go to the grocery store and the bread's just there. Um, That's that's a little unique in human history. Um, But the the Lord has supplied. And and He's given uh, good things. And, And again, James 117, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the the Father of lights. So Thanksgiving, again, absolutely appropriate holiday, and it's an absolutely God-focused holiday. Um, A feast with with turkey and and gravy and mashed potatoes, that that ought to be a worshipful act, right? It's laughable to watch the secular world, the the atheistic world, try try to celebrate Thanksgiving. And we, it, it's, they're kind of stuck with it because it's just innate in us. We're given something good and, and we want to be thankful for it. We, we want to thank someone for it. But, but who do you thank? Well, you thank the universe? I mean, what are you doing? You've just kind of renamed God. It's, it's silly. But in that, they actually short-circuit their own enjoyment of these things. Because that, that overflow of enjoyment into a, a personal thanksgiving to a personal God who actually created these things and continues to provide them for our good, that's actually the, the fullness of the enjoying of it, right? Thanksgiving is not just the, the response to enjoyment, it's the, it's the completion of it, it's the overflow of it. The fullness of the, the beauty of the sunset is, is only fully enjoyed when it's matched with worship of the God who gave it and thanksgiving to Him. God Himself delights in and even commands that we would worship Him through enjoying His creation. Seven times throughout the year, every year, um, the Jews were to feast. They were to gather together for worship. Three of those feasts in particular, the, the Feast of of first fruits and of Pentecost uh, and of trumpets were specifically about worshiping the Lord for his provision and worshiping him in the act of feasting. So you brought in the harvest, so take your harvest and eat a bunch of it and enjoy it as an act of worship to God. That's how God set it up. That's how he, he commanded them to worship, to enjoy his good gifts and to worship him as you do. We looked earlier at 1 Timothy 4.4. I said it would come back again. It's coming back again yet. Um, Paul says, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. That's, That's part of our receiving God's good gifts. 
Verse 5, he goes on to say, For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. There's a Godward focus that sanctifies that enjoyment. When you gather for your Thanksgiving feast, when you sit down every day of the week to, to supper, when you get your paycheck at the end of the month or when you walk outside and you feel the warm sun on your face, receive those good gifts. They're not to be rejected, but they're to be received with thanksgiving. They're to be turned back into worship. Point us to, to our good God. So this good creation. We see a, a good world for us to enjoy. We see a, a good God for us to worship. And thirdly, in the good creation, we see a good design for us to embrace. I want to put that as positive as I can on purpose. Because I think it absolutely is a positive thing and it's a tragedy that we get this backwards. It's almost always seen as a negative. In the goodness of creation, in a world declared by God to be very good, we, we gain some crucial knowledge about our world. And actually, this, this gets to the, the heart of Genesis 1. Um, when we talk about the creation narrative in North America, um, we almost always go to the, the days of creation, um, the, the age of the earth, the theory of evolution, and, and yet Genesis wasn't written to address those things. Right? Those issues are addressed, but that's not the point of the passage. That's not what it's about. Far more central to the heart of this passage is the goodness of God's design and the fact that he, as the designer, has the authority over it. From the very beginning, first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. We get this clear statement of who's in charge, whose world this is. And when God steps back and declares, hey, this is, this is all very good, we, we learn two things, at least. First, that he's the judge. He's the one who declares its goodness. He's the one who, who assesses the, the acceptability of this world that he created. And in so doing, the obvious truth is brought to the forefront. He's the one who declares what is good and not good. He has standards, and he's the judge. The second thing we see is that God, as the judge, affirms his perfect design. God is saying, this is the good world. This way that I have created it, designed it, this is how it's meant to operate. This is what it's made to be like. And again, we, we tend to see that as a negative thing. We immediately see it as God saying, no. You can't do this. You can't do that. God is, God is restricting us, saying this is the design. But try, just try to think about from the other perspective. This world is good. God created it for a display of his glory and for us to enjoy it and, and in so doing to enjoy his goodness in it. And his greatest glory and our fullest enjoyment um, only happen when this world operates according to his perfect design. And so we ought to, to wholeheartedly, joyfully embrace that design. We should be eager to say, okay, this is the way it's made and that's, and that's good. I want that. You ever read Psalm 119? The longest chapter in the Bible? 
You read Psalm 119 and felt a little bit odd? 176 verses of poetry, mind you, 100% dedicated to the goodness of God's law. Like David's excited. He's over the moon. He is writing extended poetry about the law of God. How many of us have sitting down to, I don't know, Josh, you ever write, write songs about God's law, write poetry about the rules of the Lord? It's a little weird. What's he doing? Like, were his wives jealous? Listen to this. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules all the time. He's like, he's being like romantic here. Verse 54, your statutes have been my song. 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. He's excited about the law. He, he, he is up late at night writing poetry about God's rules. Why? Because he understands that that law is an expression of God's love for us. That his righteous rules are, are this help for us. God's saying, this is how to use my, my world in your, in your life for optimum joy. The laws of God are, are no more for the purpose of, of restricting pleasure or minimizing joy any more than the guardrails on a highway are meant to restrict the use of the highway. Right? If you want to use a highway to its fullest, if you want to have the most fun on the road, keep it between the guardrails. Right? It's not a good thing if you plow over a guardrail. Maybe you think that's fun in your imagination, but it does not end well. It's the best way to enjoy it. Stay in the, in the guardrails. Jesus put it this way, um, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. To abide in the commandments of God is to abide in the love of God. And it's his love where there's the fullness of joy. The rest of the Bible um, goes on to unpack and fill out the law of God. Um, but just in the goodness of creation itself, we see God's design. A design we ought to embrace. A design that's, that's meant to keep us in the love of the Father where there's fullness of joy. Let's go back again, 1 Timothy 4. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God's word and prayer. His law and our submitting to it is what enables us to enjoy his good gifts, to receive them with thanksgiving. It's real easy to hear that first point. Oh, there's a good world and we should enjoy it. And just to, to run with that, with our own human foolishness. Well, I guess I should start sleeping with my girlfriend then. It's a good world to enjoy. I guess I shouldn't feel guilty about the things I'm looking at on my computer late at night. It's just enjoying God's good creation. 
I'm going to be truly happy, I need to embrace homosexuality. I need to change genders. Because it's here for me to enjoy, and that's what would make me happy. So I have a few glasses of wine every night. I'm just enjoying that. It must be good, right? What about marijuana? There's a common question today in the church. Is that It's legal now, right? It's no longer against the law. It's natural. We should enjoy that. What about, boy, I tend to eat every meal until I'm uncomfortably full. Maybe that's just enjoying God's creation. We would love, we would love to take our desires and make that the law, the standard, the judge of what's right and good. If I like it, it must be good. What we need is to trust the Lord. Not only submitting to his good design, but embracing it. To mistrust your own heart. That's hard. Um, parents, drill that one into your kids. We had that conversation yesterday. God asks us to not trust our own hearts. That's, that's the hardest thing in the world to do. I think this, I want this, God says that. How can I, how can I trust something more than my own heart? Can it possibly be right to do something other than what I feel is good? Our world says no. Follow your heart. Our hearts love things that do not bring ultimate joy. The reality is our hearts are corrupted and twisted by sin. Our hearts would love to pull us off through the guardrails and off the cliff. What is there we could actually trust more than our own hearts? God's law. No matter what your heart says, you need to embrace God's design. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart will fool you. Your heart will hurt you. The heart says, I want to enjoy sexual pleasure wherever and however I want. God says, no. No, I created a design here. Man, woman, covenant, relationship. That's it. What about food, alcohol, marijuana? How do we deal with these things? How do we talk about enjoying a good world without going off the rails? I think Paul gives one, gives a number of helpful verses, one helpful rule, I think. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 is a great place to just kind of bring some of these questions. He quotes the, the Corinthians, who were a very corrupt um, culture. They were very much like we are today. Um, and, he, and he uses quotation marks to see this. All things are lawful for me. That's what, that's what you guys are saying, right? All things are lawful for me. And he adds a qualifier. But not all things are helpful. Again, he quotes them. All things are lawful for me, right? And then he adds, but but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be mastered, controlled by anything. Food is lawful. It's, it's there. It's even good when it's enjoyed to the glory of God, but, but when food begins to control us, there's a problem there. When we're enslaved to it, same could be asked of alcohol or smoking or your cell phone. 
Ouch. Am I addicted to it? Does it have power over me? Does it bring me under its control? I can't put it down. I can't leave it alone. I can't say no. There's another way that things, I think, control us or put us under their power. Um, Drunkenness is explicitly called sin because at that point, your mind is under the control of alcohol. It's taken over. It's changed the way that you think and operate. Something like marijuana, I think, is even more clear in that. It takes you under its control. It has affected your mind. And I think the difference that... Alcohol can have one drink and be responsible and not come under its control. I don't think that's true with marijuana. It affects how you think, what you feel. I think Ephesians 5.18 applies here. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be controlled, our mind, our hearts, and be ruled by the Holy Spirit, not by alcohol or by anything else. We're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So ask, does, does, it, does it control me? Does this, does this put me under its power? Another good question is this. Are these things leading me to glory in the Lord or are they taking the place of the Lord? Right? Jesus says this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus says. Come to me, I'll be your rest. Could be alcohol, could be food, could be your bed, could be your TV, your phone, sports, reading, all kinds of things. If, if rather than enjoying it to the glory of God, you begin to depend on it and go to that thing for your rest, that's become sin. It's it's taking the place of the Lord. We begin to cast our cares on these things, lay our anxiety at the feet of, uh, of another glass of wine in the evening instead of taking it to the Lord, instead of resting in Him. We're to find our rest in Him not, not bury our anxiety um, by abusing his gifts. If, if you depend on that thing for your rest, then it's, then it's become sin. And there'll be no lasting joy there. It won't satisfy. It doesn't solve the problem. Are there things in your life that you need to examine, some habits or, or some enjoyments that, that you're beginning to depend on? You run to those things for peace when you should be learning to rest in Christ. Yes, this this world is given to us for our enjoyment, and we might worship the Lord in it, but but we can only do that when we embrace it according to His good design. And as we embrace that design, um, we we drive down the road happily, keeping within the guardrails. That's where true enjoyment and, and, and thankfulness overflows. So in this good creation, we see um, a good world for us to enjoy. We see a good God for us to to worship. We see a good design for us to embrace. And then finally, um, we see a good future for us to hope in. There's a a change of tone here. 
Some of you, no doubt, hear this invitation to, to rejoice in God's good gifts and His creation, to, this call to worship Him in it, and your heart just sings. There's so many things to be thankful for. The Lord is so good, and, and we're going to praise the Lord for that. This Thanksgiving morning, you're just, you're just overflowing, and that's fantastic. And, and yet, for many, Thanksgiving doesn't come quite so easily right now. You're looking at the things in your life. The goodness of God's creation just isn't the forefront. Just isn't that obvious right now. For every one of us here, um, you, you just don't have to dig too deep, right? I mean, we just barely need to scratch the surface to see um, that, that the enjoyment of the good things of this world are mixed with a heaviness of suffering, pain, hardship, difficulty, brokenness. It's all around us. It's in us. It's true that the, the creation is good. There's some amazing things for us to, to enjoy and the beauty of it, to delight in those things, and we should delight in them. It's right to celebrate and to be joyful on Thanksgiving weekend, and, and yet it would be naive to the point of delusional uh, to think that we could just stop there. End of story. This world was created good, but this world has been marred and twisted by sin. Those guardrails that God had put in place for our joy and His glory, we didn't keep them. Ever since Adam and Eve, not a single person has stayed between them. In fact, we've driven back over and forth over them so, so many times we've, we've beat them into the ground. We don't even know where they are anymore. And so this world, once a delight in the eyes of the Lord, is, is now broken and and spiraling with the, with the accumulative damage of, of thousands of years of humanity uh, living in rebellion against Him. There's plenty of beauty and enjoyment left to be had, but there's also an abundance of, of brokenness, pain. That brokenness and pain, everything from, from shattered relationships. Boy, it's great to get together for a Thanksgiving meal. But that one family member who is estranged or gone. Now what? Can we still be joyful? Great to get together for a Thanksgiving meal unless you're in Florida or the Ukraine. It makes it a little trickier. This world is broken. There's tragedy all around us and, and all of it needs to be held in perspective with the truth that when we look back at the goodness of God in creation, that original creation. We, we don't just see the past that we lost. We also see the future that we're promised. Right? There, there is a, a goodness in creation that, that is meant to remind us of a future that we can hope in. The Garden of Eden was never the end game. Right? It was never, it was, it was not as though God's plan A has failed and now we just look back at a broken world with despair. That's not it. The garden was never going to be our eternal home. But in the garden, there is a promise embedded of what our eternal home will one day be like. And, and though we rebelled against God, and by our sin we brought death and corruption and decay into this world, God sent His Son. He sent Jesus to come into this broken world to take on human flesh living in the midst of the brokenness 
and dying on the cross, he took the penalty that we deserved. And he did it to rescue sinners out from the, the pain of death and sin, the judgment of God. And the promise there that, that to all who repent, who will, who will turn away from sin, who will trust in him for forgiveness, submit to him as Lord, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a, a new and better Garden of Eden, an eternal paradise of perfect beauty and joy, an eternity of peace and rest with Him. And there, in a world untouched by the corruption of sin, with our hearts fully freed from the corruption of sin, imagine that day when the desires of my heart and the laws of God are united. My heart comes all the way over, I guess. That's where we find consummate joy. That's where we find satisfaction. That's where we find peace. Enjoying God's gifts directly, imminently in his presence. Thanksgiving is fantastic. But guess what? Monday morning comes. Life goes on. Sorrow's still there. That fantastic meal that we enjoy leaves me wanting more and hungry again. That's the promise that we have nestled in the Garden of Eden is, is a beauty and a perfection. Pointing back to the, the, the glory from, from whence we have come, the, the, the beauty from which we have fallen. And, and, and that's just this, this, this faint preview, just a snippet of, of what's to come. Let's be clear, that promise that wonder of a new heavens, a new earth, it is explicitly and exclusively for those who will bend the knee in repentance and faith to Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the only way, the only doorway leading away from sin and death and hell and into this glorious eternity is, is turning to him. For many, the, the broken world, with its kind of shattered remnants of the goodness of God scattered throughout, the, the faint glimpse of his goodness in a sunset, that's the closest they will ever get to heaven. And what awaits them is the fullness of the wrath of God for eternity. But for those who trust in Christ, then the, the brokenness of this world, the, the temporary pain and struggling that we feel now, that is the closest we will ever be to hell. And what awaits is an eternity of blessing and joy and peace with God. Which path are you on? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you admitted the, 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 the awful nature of your own sin and joyfully submitted, embracing his good design, his good laws? The way is open. The, the invitation is there for all to take. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. You want something to be thankful for at Thanksgiving? Let's start there. Start in repentance and faith. Claiming this, this forgiveness, this hope that is offered. Because with that hope that we have in Christ, um, 
the, the trials, the pains, the suffering of this life that sometimes loom so large in front of us. Oh, with the perspective of God's work over history and into eternity. They come potholes on the road to glory. I hope you go home this afternoon and celebrate Thanksgiving. Celebrate with, with feasting and laughter and, and joy. Celebrate the abundance of what God has, has given us. Enjoy it to his glory. Celebrate because God has given us a good earth to enjoy. And in that we see a, a good God to be worshipped. And a good design to be embraced. And a good future to hope in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the abundance with which you have blessed us. God, it is embarrassing as we worship you for your grace and your kindness in so many earthly things, but so much more in the spiritual blessings that you have given us, that you have sent your Son to redeem us, to rescue us from the curse of sin, that you've given us a hope and a future. God, we know that even the, uh, the worst trials of this life are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits. So God, I pray, help us, help us to be wise in this world. Help us to, to receive your good gifts, to enjoy them to the glory of your name, to enjoy things the way that you designed them to be enjoyed, to embrace and love your law and your good design. God, that we would be set on that future hope, that we would be encouraged and, and lifted up as we look forward to that. And Father, even now as we gather um, over this weekend to meet with, with friends and family who don't know you, God, give us, give us that overflowing joy that would lead us to share with them, to point them toward this glorious hope. And God, if there are any this morning who do not know you in the sound of my voice, who have driven their life off the guardrail, God, that they would repent, that they would come to trust in you, to seek after you, that they would know your abundant mercy. I want to pray in Jesus' name.